senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. I'm not normally a praying man, but if you're up there, please save me, Superman! Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hi, welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 45, and once again, we are back on our old schedule of taping late on Sunday, (laughs) as I spent the entire goddamn weekend. We've been recording this on a computer that I built in 2008. Shit-faced. Well, I build all my computers shit-faced. It's the only way I can get rid of that edge of, oh, am I putting this in right? This whole thing's (laughs) going to fry me when I turn the goddamn thing on. So yeah, I, I have to do it drunk. But, so yeah, I built it in 2008, and it's been fine. Um, it really hasn't been upgraded since then, um, but... Well, it makes this, it had been making this awful whirring, grinding noise every oh, time you turned it on. Yeah, every time I turned it on, it sounded like somebody was trying to fuckstart a weasel. It was just, <laughs> it just... And, <laughs> and Rob, tell the listening audience how you would know what fuckstarting a weasel sounds like. Um... I'm guessing because if I <laughs> if I'd actually done it, um, I'd be doing this in a much higher voice. Ah. I would imagine. So, but yeah, it, it was perfectly fine, and I never wanted to spend money to upgrade it. Um, but what I finally did was a couple years ago, I built this behemoth of a machine to be a TiVo. Yeah, which I used for three or four years, just a huge amount of space and the fastest processor money could buy at the time, and a bunch of memory in it, and then parts of it died so it was completely useless it was unable to talk to the tv anymore yeah that was that was problematic so it's been sitting in a corner for a year until finally you know if you listen to the show it's been the ongoing process of (laughs) clearing this room out and turning it into a studio i finally had room to set it up so yeah starting at seven o'clock on saturday morning i'm like let me turn this video server into an actual general purpose computing machine (laughs) <laughs> which is not as easy as you would think because the the biggest problem was and I don't want to get too technical but when you're dealing with big video files you want to format the hard drive in a certain way with big blocks because since the files are so big you know it doesn't matter if one of them is just takes up a a tiny bit of a 64k block at the end hmm. well the problem is you then have to reformat those drives to a standard size unless you want the hard drive to fill up with you know, 15 text files and <laughs> and yeah it turns out for four and a half terabytes that takes nine hours <laughs> um, and then yeah i had to set the os back up and install all the software and uninstall all the video software and get it all working with the soundboard and so yeah it's finally up and running <laughs> It is much quieter because since it, it was, since it was designed to be a video server sitting in the living room, I you know put all kinds of quiet fans. I got bigger ones, so it's fewer revolutions per minute. So the thing is awesome, but it took me until about three o'clock today to finally say yes. This is now an acceptable machine. It is a giant machine. It is. It's like the monolith in two thousand one. Well, because it's mostly hard drive and okay. cock. As to say, I <laughs> thought you were going to end that sentence with the word cock. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's a big machine, but it's also since I built it to be in a component rack, it's desktop style. Yeah. Like not a tower. So figuring out where you've got limited space where you can put this <laughs> giant thing that sat in a component rack. So but yeah, it's it's finally up and running, so <laughs> based on the meters, it's accepting 
sound from the soundboard. So we're good to go. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> I think that was the last major thing short. A few more pieces of equipment that'll trickle in to get this to be the actual studio I always wanted it to be when we started <laughs> started doing this again. So yeah, and it's it's been a weird week for comics. With, with some big stuff that, Frank, we've talked about in the past, I don't particularly want to talk about again. There's more creators who just don't feel like they're making enough money at conventions because of all the goddamn cosplayers. So that was another, I don't want to say Tempest in a teapot because it's a big deal to some people, but we've talked about it before. Well, it seems to be, though, at least the ones that are ranting, it seems to be contained to some of the, the older creators who just aren't willing to move along with how fandom is changing up over time. Well, it's up until probably about the last eight or nine years, if you went to a comic book convention, it was, you know, except for San Diego, yeah, it was in a a fucking back room at a hotel, and it was just dealers, so the people who went there were just going there to buy things. Certainly... If you're sitting on the main floor at San Diego or New York, you know, it's going to be, Jesus, all these people, they're not buying my shit. Well, you could just as easily be in, you know, the, the I don't know, the Christmas Attics room <laughs> at the, the Boston Marriott with a tenth of the people. Yeah. Th- that tenth of the people will probably be more likely to buy your shit, but those people are still at the conventions. It's just now you get to stare at 50,000 cosplayers walking by. Yeah, but I was also hear, hearing stories about like some some guy running a a booth that um, somebody dressed as Stephen Strange came up and was like, I don't really know much about this character, but I'm interested in the movie that's coming out, and that's why I decided to cosplay like this. And he kicked him out. And it's dude, you, that's an opportunity you could have had to sell the kid a book. Yeah, <laughs> or if you're an artist, well, shit, I'll draw you a Stephen Strange. I'll tell you a little bit about him while I do it. Oh, here's here's a thought, and I don't remember exactly who pitched this, but I read this on one of the forums. You have an excellent opportunity to tell people, that's a great costume. I'm happy to sketch you as that character. Charge them 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't even have to break out the chalks and give them a big caricature giant fucking head. Yeah. Doctor Strange snowboarding down the fucking mountain. Right. Yeah, it's uh, that would work. Yeah, because these people are there because they they like the medium one way or the other. Right. You know, it's if they don't know every incarnation of Doctor Strange, they just think it's a cool costume. So fucking what? They're there. They've got some money to spend. If you interact with them, maybe they'll give you some of that money. Right. If you treat them like a scumbag, they'll go spend it with somebody else. Exactly. So it's like the the nice lady at Boston Comic-Con, I forget what artist it was, but we was selling $5, I'll do a two-minute watercolor of whatever you want. So we showed her a picture of Parker the cat, yeah, <laughs> who's just a black fucking cat. <laughs> She's she like, came up with a great... Yeah, so she made $5 for two minutes' work. Right. So, so yeah, it's... <laughs> I can get if you've been around forever and you're used to, oh yeah, there's only 500 people at this convention, but every single one of them wants what I got. And you're suddenly overwhelmed and sitting there for 25 minutes, eight hours a day, while six million. Let's say it's not just the cosplayers. There's, you know, rubberneckers and particularly the big conventions. People are just there for you know, <laughs> the old Twilight Ruin Comic Con. I'm just here to see the movie, people. <laughs> so fucking what? The people who want your stuff will show up, and it's the same number of people. It, right. It just doesn't scale linearly. 
And if you're not making money going to conventions, then rethink what you do to make money. <laughs> you know, get a web presence. Yeah. Do do other things. <laughs> yeah, it's it kills me. I couldn't get anything from Francesco Francavilla at yeah. San Diego, but I, I'm watching his Twitter. He's got a bunch of Batman, the 1989 movie shit he's done recently. He's putting on sale. I'm, yep. I'm going to try and jump on that shit. He actually posted also a preview of his um, Archie versus Predator cover because he just turned that in. That pretty sweet. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could go for that. Archie being menaced by fucking the Predators? Walking Dead and <laughs> Predators. And yeah, I could go for that. So, I mean, there was once upon a time I'd get Archie being run over by a bus would have been fine. I'll take the Predator <laughs> angle. That's fine with me. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to beat that to death, but it was just another thing that flared up and it's a thing we've talked about before so i don't want to go too much into it again now and there was the other one about the batwoman story it's this one hits closer to because we walked into the comic store on wednesday and uh the, the the local comic book store owner uses me as a barometer for is this sexist <laughs> basically well, yeah because comics you know, even though you're you're treated very well there and extremely welcome from the owner and all the locals who Yes. You know, the regulars who hang out on Wednesday, yeah, you don't see a ton of women in there, as I'm sure happens at a lot of comic stores. Yeah, there are some, though. I do see some others. Yeah, but, but when it comes to flat-out regular, you're going to see me on Wednesday, he knows he's going to see you. Right. So, so yeah, he grabbed you, so. And it was Batwoman 35. I forget the yeah, issue number. Pretty, cause, pretty uh, sure it was 35. Again, I, I don't want to beat this one to death. But. Um, it, Which is the, got the ones with the panels where Nocturna... Um, comes in and glamours Kate so that she thinks that she's seeing Maggie, who she's recently broken up with, and and then um sort of invites her into bed, um and then from there bites her, and then in the next issue they are apparently in some sort of relationship where Kate is kind of remembering now that she may have been assaulted and there was blood, um. <laughs> Yes. But she is also somewhat fearful of Nocturna, who is very um, sort of controlling in their relationship. And Mark Andreco has been called out on social media platforms as, as writing a story that is um, contrary to the spirit of Kate Kane and, and unnecessarily rapey. Yeah. And it, I, there's a, I can see a certain amount of, point to that that's why i don't want to beat the thing to death but the the thing that you and i talked about yeah and we talked about with the owner of the store well was, if it's just the panels in in 35 yeah it's a vampire story right it's it's a it's a it's a book that has had a supernatural bent since williams started writing it when the new 52 kicked off um yeah even up to a point if i remember right the detective comic stuff that well, yeah. less so because Gregor Rucker was writing that. But yeah, um, so you know, is it is it fair for a female superhero character to be written into a story in which she may potentially be in abu in an abusive relationship? Would Would you write this if it was Superman? Would you write this if it was Batman? Ironically, I believe Nocturna and Batman have had some dealings. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Batman has certainly had his share of Kelly Jones drawn vampire stories. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I get the outrage. If you were a fan of what J.H. Um, Williams was doing with Kate and Maggie and then were upset when that was taken away from him and he was told they couldn't marry and then from there he was off the book and now it's going in this direction that seems to be lessening the hero, then yeah, you're going to be outraged. Yeah, which I can understand. But the, the big thing is the vampire mythos, not too far beneath the surface, is well, one of predator, sexual dominance yeah. <laughs> and rape. Yeah, it's 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 a predator story. Um, Dracula, you know, the, anything that ever happened to Mina or Lucy was definitely, you know, not consensual. Yeah, or, or to Jonathan <laughs> Or to Jonathan Harker. Harker, who, you know, was was basically raped by the brides of Dracula and it traumatized him to the point that his hair turned white. Yeah, it's it's sort of a nature of... Rape, know, rape for everybody. Yeah, if it's a <laughs> classical Dracula-style vampire story, that's what you get. Yeah. So and and also you know even before that um, Sheridan Le Fanu uh, the Carmilla story which is sort of the proto lesbian vampire story um, which it has has Carmilla show up because um, she's haunting her ancestral home and gets into a illicit relationship with the teenage girl who lives in the house where they're they're friends by day and then at night she's cozying up to her and sucking blood out of her breast. Um, it, it's, the story is about a predator. Now the question, the question is, do you need to have this story? Is what ground are we hoping to uncover here with the character that it needed to be told this way? Um, I'm willing to give Andreco the benefit of the doubt just because I like him as a writer. Um, but it's, as we talked about, in a previous show with um, Spider-Man 2099 and the actions of um, Deimos, the inheritor. Yeah. Yep. Now, in that particular case, we had a situation where May may be symbol symbolic of the fake geek girl and the shit that happens to them when they're called yep. out for that. Yeah, we talked about that last. So week. if we if we take that out of the equation, if that was not Peter David's intent, because we don't know what his what his intent was, um, you know. Why does the character have to behave that way to behave to to come across like a jerk, or is that lazy writing? Yeah. Um. So, from my mind, I, I I think people should be allowed to tell the stories that they want to tell. They may not always be stories that you want to participate in as the reader, and that's your right, and it's your right to vote uh, voice that. But I don't. I don't see the purpose in in haranguing someone over social media um, who is just trying to do their job. Well, and, and and Draco has gone on Twitter saying, no, you haven't read the whole story. Exactly. Kate's not being forced to do anything. It's going to become clear as it goes along. Um, with regards to the Carmela story, that was clearly something that you as an English major was reading while I was drinking and reading comic books in college. <laughs> I was staring at you fucking blankly as you're saying, you know, of course, you've read that. Did it have it's pictures? in the house. <laughs> well, what can I tell you? I haven't read everything in the house. <laughs> I keep books to make me look smart to the rubes who come in here, okay? But uh, Okay. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it, it's been clear he's going to do a vampire story since the future's end She's a shots. vampire in that. Yeah, so... 
ultimately a lot of vampire stories that's kind of what they're about i can understand why there's outrage about it but this kind of outrage there's one of these every three weeks in comics and we've talked about them before that's why i said i don't want to spend a ton of time on it but i also didn't want to ignore it i i i think the issue for me is i i get it and i'm willing to understand the point of view from the people who who are not happy about it who feel that nothing there's no reason to to tell the story this way there must whatever ground they're hoping to uncover for this character and her development in this story there must have been some other way to tell it without having to go the rape route or sexual predator route on the other hand i i I feel like there's a a group within that particular faction who don't want you to just acknowledge them it's somehow you can't be outraged enough and and that's the piece that's problematic for me well and that's true of any outrage on social media it yeah. it becomes a mob with certain amounts of with a certain number of people who are involved in any issue yeah that's just human nature anything anybody does is going to be somebody's hot button and in a, a it's it's easy to whip people into a, a certain percentage of people into an absolute frenzy particularly on social media where it's you know I got 140 characters and then I press send and then I go make a sandwich. Yeah. You know. So the the outrage on social media on any issue I don't think is necessarily as strong as it appears cuz shit all really all I have to do is press the retweet button and then go make a sandwich. <laughs> so you know I I get it. I get both sides of it that there are people who are triggered on this, there are people who had a lot invested in the Kate Kane, Maggie Sawyer storyline who are upset that that story didn't happen. When it comes to that point of view, in my mind, it's at a certain point in comics, there's always going to be a certain amount of outrage about any book. It's like, that's not the story I wanted. That's not the story I expected. Yeah. And you'll see it from this to people screaming at Dan Slott over air quotes, killing Peter Parker. It happens all the time. That's the nature of comics. Yeah. That's just geek rage. And, and you know, I, I didn't want Dazzler and Beast to get together. I thought that was a bad storyline. But, well, you know because what? that is against God, <laughs> and he will judge us harshly. But you know what? Eventually, that storyline came to a conclusion, and you jump back in. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, but it's a this kind of thing in comics, again, it's something else we've talked about before. You know, I don't want to spend a whole shitload of time on it, because... If we were going to lock onto that, we'd have a new one every two weeks. Mm-hmm. We try to have fun on this show, goddammit. We do, we do. But you know, I I like vampire stories. I'm I'm willing to read this because I like vampire stories. I but I yeah I come back to is this a story that you would tell if it was anybody other than a female hero? I mean, yes, we have we have the the Nightwing tarantula rape thing that happened several years ago right um i'm having a lot of difficulty pulling up other instances though where a male character has been taken against his will off the top of my head yeah i can't really think of anything yeah um i don't remember the details of uh arsenal and rise of arsenal but that's because i've blocked a lot of that story yeah all right so there's that there cheshire took 
him against his will, and that's how they got the baby. Yeah. Um. But again, all right. So there's two instances, whereas there's multiple instances in comics and other media where something awful and vile happens to a female character for the purposes of moving a plot along. Yeah. So, you know, did it? Did this have to be another one? And very probably not. I mean, the follow up of an implied abusive relationship. Again, not knowing where the story ultimately is going to go, you know that's because again, when we when we talked to the the owner of the comic store, that yeah, his thing was he had read about it, and in all the stuff that we found on various comics news sites, they showed yeah the two pages from the first issue where this started, where it was just well shit, that's just a vampire thing. The the follow up stuff, you know, I, I get why there's you know, a certain amount of outrage and upset over it, but. It's a vampire story. It's a vampire story, and and yes, it was drawn very male gaze. Many comics are. Um, yeah. Oh, almost all of them. Because <laughs> right back to the other conversation, it's still mostly a boys' club. Yeah. Um, but uh, did, have I become so inured that my first thought wasn't was like, oh, it's 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 a vampire story, and not like, oh gosh, like <laughs> that, and they're making it sexy too, like. <laughs> well. I didn't. I didn't find it particularly sexy, but then again, that's not my particular fetish. Yeah. <laughs> Until you get to Stephen King and Salem's Lot, all the vampires are supposed to be sexy, and yeah. in Salem's Lot, they're far more zombies than they are vampires. It's true, they're more Bar- ghouls. Yeah, except for Barlow, the main dude. Right. So it's just sort of a nature of the story. Now, I think the the upset is from Andrako taking it the further step to, oh no, they're not just coming in the night and feeding and leaving. It's you know, the, this mind control, and yeah, that's potentially problematic. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't know what, what's to be done about these, sort of just sort of talking about it a little bit, because the, there will be another upset sometime in the next two weeks. Yeah, and, and it comes down to, you know, writers at the behest of editors and, and architects are going to write the stories that, that they're asked to write. Um, and I, I think that fans have the right to voice their ideas, but to jump down somebody's throat because they're choosing to tell a particular story, especially not having read the whole story, isn't fair to the writer. Yeah. No, I tend to agree. And yeah, people screaming on the internet, nobody has the right to do that. So we're canceling the show. <laughs> Damn. So yeah, we we've already spent more time on this than I wanted to. It's just you know since those were the big things this week, I sort of made a snap decision. Eh, we should talk about them a little bit, but okay. And we and now we have yeah. Didn't want to ignore them. So, but yeah, I mean the, the main thing we intended to talk about before all this <laughs> stuff blew up was uh yeah I mean the the big thing on geek. TV this week was the first big crossover. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's get back to nice, safe, non-controversial. <laughs> white, male, cisgendered. <laughs> uh, that's right. And white, white, male, cisgendered, if you're going to go on, on the internet. I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. <laughs> I had to do it. You're awful. <laughs> I had to do it. So, yeah, Flash Arrow was pretty good, huh? <laughs> it, it was. It was. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, we were watching both shows already. Clearly, this thing was designed to be a boost to the Flash if it was tanking. Yeah. You know, it's okay, well, let's do a big thing before mid-season to try to save us if it's a, nobody knew at the time it would be the highest rated show on the CW. Oh, I know. So, um, so yeah, I mean, so without having to deal with the whole, oh, is it going to save the show or not? We can just address the whole thing right. uh, on its merits. Um, I found it kind of interesting and probably smart. They didn't go with like a two-parter movie. Yeah. Each episode was real, standalone. Yeah, hung on its own. There were in the, because uh, it was Flash first and then Arrow. Mm-hmm. And in the Arrow episode, there were enough references to what happened in the Flash that you could take a certain amount of, oh, okay, it's it's a unified story, but it certainly didn't have to be. So just Arrow fans watching it, there were probably one or two things that went over their head. But yeah. But uh, so yeah, it's it, you didn't have to see both of them, which I thought made a lot of sense. And I think it, in addition to the boost it gave, you know, Flash and Arrow being foils for each other's characters, um, it spent a lot of not a lot of time, but a nice amount of time allowing um, some scenes that develop Cisco and Caitlin's characters a little bit more. Um, I thought the moment. Later at the near the end of the the flash episode where Ollie is leaving and he says to Felicity, um, Dr. Wells seems a little off. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, just a, a nice voice of the viewer at yeah. that point. <laughs> yeah, it's Cisco really hit home for me on this one. And it, he is the bomb. And considering <laughs> his namesake Oh. is supposed to be vibe. It's one of those things. It's like, it's like, oh, you're suckering me into liking this guy because when he turns into vibe, he's going to be such a joke. Well, <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> Jeff Johns did okay with updating him for the future, but you're never not going to picture. Well, the irony is he comes up with all of these code names for the metahumans. You know, this is Prism. No, we don't call him Rainbow Maker. That's a dumb name. <laughs> well, um, but then... Then eventually he or somebody is going to name him Vibe. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's the thing is that of the ones he's na- he's named, we've had uh, Captain Cold. Yep, and he tried Kaboom Boomerang. Yeah. although he should have just gone with Captain to start with. Right. They should just make it a running joke that everything is just Captain. <laughs> captain. Something. So yeah, yeah. If there's a cross crossover with uh, Captain America. It's a Captain Jumpy for <laughs> Batroc the Leaper or. You know, Captain Jumpy. Dark side. Captain Stoneface. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Jumpy. Yeah, write that down. It's not terrible. But so yeah, I mean I I want to dislike Cisco because for years I've not liked Vibe, but there it is. He's awesome. He is. <laughs> yeah, for from the moment in um the episode the beginning of the episode where he does his Yoda impression and then calls people out for not getting it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he had great lines all through this. Yeah, and just his unabashed, absolute enthusiasm for everything that is happening around him, no matter how dangerous. Well, yeah, but even uh, there was an arrow where they're all sitting around waiting to uh, find out if uh, who was injured. Um, Lila. Yeah, thank you. If uh, yeah, if, uh, Lila was going to be okay, they're all sitting around drinking. The one thing I noticed from that was each one of them got a shot, and there was a camera cut, and then they were all gone. Those guys were <laughs> fucking pounding. And I respect that. <laughs> But uh, th- yeah, where Cisco says, yeah, I-, I don't think we took it seriously because it didn't feel real because everybody has superpowers. Yeah, that, that was kind of cool and an interesting observation. 
Yeah. You oh, know what the, I noticed though? What? Caitlin wasn't drinking. Well. Because alcohol's an antifreeze. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. She will eventually. <laughs> Be killer frost. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So yeah, let's go back to some of the. Let's start with Flash. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Because um, I was going to say the best part of the second episode, the Arrow episode, was it took place in Starling City, so fucking Iris wasn't there. <laughs> Iris is the fucking worst. She's the Brita of the fucking Flash oh, world. She's just the worst. Every time she, Oh, yeah, Irised it. it. Yeah. Every time she shows up, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it feels like the, the show just suddenly gets loaded with false earnestness and fake naivete. Yeah. She's just, you know, oh, I'm blind to what Barry feels like. And at the same time, she's got no fucking chemistry with him. She's got no chemistry with... Uh, she, she's there for the typical demographic of of the CW. <laughs> yeah, which is fine for the CW. They've got their audience. But yeah, she's got less chemistry with Eddie Thrawn. I have never wanted more for uh what's her face that played lana in smallville to come back <laughs> oh yeah she was fucking horrible yeah like pink ranger yeah um, <laughs> but, yeah i mean iris in this show has so little chemistry with eddie that if lightning went through them and hit barry barry would have died <laughs> there's just there's nothing there <laughs> There's no there there. I mean, and, and in the Arrow episode, she fucking blatantly hits on Oliver in front of Barry and Eddie, so she's a skank, too. Yeah, she I mean, she she's a, a cape climber. Yeah. She's a- <laughs> <laughs> Write that one down. That's pretty good. But um, I mean, the thing is, I, I've never found Iris to be a strong character, particularly at all. I mean, and as a motivating factor for The Flash, the most effective she's ever been was back in like 83, 84, 85 when Carrie Bates was writing it and did the trial of the Flash just before Crisis. And there, the motivating factor was she was murdered. Yeah. And we can get to that at any time in the show. I'm I'm for it at this point. Speaking of awful things happening to women for the advancement of the plot. <laughs> well, <laughs> true, but at least that was just a straight up violent murder, I guess. I, don't, I, I can't defend that fr- statement. It was a fridging. <laughs> True, but it was before there was a fridging. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, it was no less of it. Yeah, clearly a mode. Yeah, that's probably the worst fridging I can think of now that you mention it, because that was the motivation for the next two years of Flash stories. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's just, Iris is just horrible in the TV show. Yeah. I don't want to blame the actress because, uh, I don't know her from anything else. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. But yeah, I made a joke. I think last week. That you may as well just call her Iris Kardashian. She is that like just bland and vacant, and <laughs> yeah, it just does nothing for the nothing. show. And <laughs> the whole Barry. It, it just it drags the show down every time we go back to Barry pining over. Her. Well, right now she's mad at the Flash, so hopefully there'll be less of that crap. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we'll we'll you get back to, to it. to kill my boyfriend. We'll we'll get back to it. But all right, so it, for the episode itself, this was at its core the first Flash Red Kryptonite episode. Yeah. Yeah, cuz like you, know, you talked about Smallville in Smallville every season there was a, an episode where Clark got the Red Kryptonite and started <laughs> acting all wacky. <laughs> wacky. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and since Rainbow Raider 
wasn't captured in this. That means he'll be popping up once a season. Prism, please. Cisco wants us to call him Prism. You can call him whatever he wants. He's Rainbow <laughs> Raider, and we all know it. But so yeah, he'll be back once a year and make Barry try to fuck Caitlin or join the mafia or kill a hooker <laughs> or go out and do rails with Captain Cold or some shit. It's, it's going to happen over and over again because it's an easy way to do a quick episode of, oh, we'll make him act weird and see what happens. Yeah. Um, the biggest problem I had with the first episode is it really only works from the middle of Act 2 until almost the end of Act 3 is if right in the middle of Act 2, if everybody around Barry Allen is just grotesquely fucking stupid. <laughs> well, because The Flash meets Rainbow Raider, who we've seen, at least in this case, his one power is to make people dicks, act like <laughs> act like scumbags. Yeah, and they tried to explain it away as a, as a, oh, he does something to the center of your brain that is in charge of executive functioning, and that's why they act like this. No. <laughs> well, actually... From a scientific standpoint, I could buy that, you know, because of my vast background in science. But, but no, remember uh, Neil Stevenson, Snow Crash? Yeah. The Snow Crash virus, the eye was an entryway to the entire central nervous system and could reprogram things. So I bought that. Well, I would have I bought it if they had phrased it exactly as you said it, but they went out of their way to call it executive function. And, and, Having poor executive function skills doesn't mean that you go around acting like a dick all the time. Does that mean you shit your pants? Do I have poor executive <laughs> function? Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying is they, they should have said something more along the lines of reprogramming the brain to behave in an impulsive manner or in a... But the people in the bank weren't being impulsive. They were being dicks. They were, yeah, murderous, murderous dicks. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's not impulsivity. That's being a murderous dick. Yeah. I'm going to so, write that down. <laughs> Okay, we'll have to come up with something else besides dick. Every half the titles we come up with get us kicked right off every site we're on. That's true. But so yeah, regardless of that, the only way you get from Act Two to the end is if everybody ignores the fact that he had this interaction with Rainbow Raider, and then immediately starts acting like a dick. He made that crack to Caitlin about I'm not Ronnie. Yeah, you know, it sends her running out of it, and nobody makes the connection. Within two minutes of, ooh, all right, let's put the arm on him right now. Yeah, and I I think people were trying to go, oh, well, you know, he's, all right, that was a comment, but we, you know, in in relation to the behavior of the people at the bank, he's not trying to shoot me. Like, yeah. He's, yeah, he's not murderous, he's just a shitlord. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, observation-wise, I mean, you would think it, almost anything they they do something with them. I mean, gee, Barry, you don't typically act like this much of a douche canoe. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> from here on out, if anybody says Roy G. Bivolo or Rainbow Raider and Barry sneezes angrily, they should just blast him with a disco <laughs> epilepsy ray. Just stand him in front of it. Disco epilepsy ray. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, I mean, as scientists observing behavior, uh, the folks at Star Labs, they're not as good as they could be. That's True. all I'm trying to say. Um. But one of the things I liked in the episode was how uh, uh, Joe West mm -hmm. and Harrison Wells dealt with Arrow being in town. Yes. They had a really legitimate point, which is something that is sort of conveniently ignored in Arrow these days. And that's, he killed about 16 or 18 people <laughs> in the first year and a half before he got his shit together. It's true. Um, And it's... 
you can kind of forgive it in Arrow because they've done a half decent job sort of gothaming it up. Yes. Um, but only half. De- it's not Gotham City. If it was Gotham City, the Doctor Wells would have been like, "You only killed like sixteen, eighteen people. Would you like the key to Central City?" <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> There was a, an overall theme between the two episodes in general um, uh, about you know, our heroes and, and how we defend their choices until they do something that we we see that shows their flaws and makes them less heroic. And how do we deal with that when we've put them up on a pedestal? Iris has this happen when the Flash acting under prisms um influence um you know you're wrong you're wrong (laughs) attacks her and eddie um and the flash barry has this happen when he sees up close and personal how oliver engages um in full vigilante mode including um torture and and being willing to wound people with with weapons yeah so he he had not seen necessarily Oliver in action to that degree. Um, yeah, I suppose Batman's only cool up until he breaks your fucking legs. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true of anybody. Yeah, Spider-Man's awesome until you're hung upside down in front of the police station. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was pretty effective across both episodes as to how other people would see Arrow. And then, yeah, when Flash went. Shit to the Lord. dark side. One shit lord. Full shit lord. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then again, the main person we saw react to that was Iris, and I just don't care. Oh, did you break your little heart? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Now you have to blog about something else. <laughs> yeah. But. Maybe you'll turn your attention, your attention to the arrow. Oh, no, you don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, she wanted to go there. <laughs> she wanted to go there very badly. Yeah. But, I mean, that's... One of the other things I liked in Arrow was how easily Dr. Wells figured out who Green Arrow was. Yeah, yeah. That that moment of, huh, you're back from the island at about the same time that the Arrow starts showing up in, in Star City. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about that kind of superhero. It would not be hard to figure it out. No. It's, uh, yeah, the, the timing and, okay, who's got the money to do research and development and building of these Trick arrows, boxing glove arrow notwithstanding, because <laughs> any nine-year-old could come up with that. But yeah, the first person you'd go to would be... Oliver. You yeah. seem to have a lot of free time and excessive wealth. <laughs> yeah. In Gotham City, the first time the Batmobile was seen, the GCPD would be bashing down the gates to fucking Wayne Manor. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not hard to figure out. And, and it's nice that somebody actually kind of acknowledged that. Yeah. You know, frankly, in the comics... They're sort of acknowledging it right now in Justice League, but to make it seem like only criminal mastermind Lex Luthor could figure out, huh, you need a billionaire who lives in Gotham. Yeah, let's start narrowing them down. Oh, billionaire in Gotham who's not an obvious fucking criminal. Now you're right, down to right, a team right. of one. Yeah. So. Well, I know it's not Oswald Cobblepot. Yeah. <laughs> but, you'd, but yeah, you'd have to be willfully stupid to not really be able to figure out who some of these guys are. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, from from an action standpoint, I liked in the Flash episode, the fight between Flash and Arrow. Yeah. Um, I thought it was well choreographed. They, they did some nice camera work that wasn't overly hokey to demonstrate 
what it's like for him as a speedster versus what it's like for Ollie to try to figure out how to hit negative space. Yeah, and it gave Oliver a certain amount of credit to be able to figure out after a while. I, I need to punch where he isn't because he'll wind up there. Eventually. Um, Still only got one or two shots and had to do you know real tricks to try and get him. Right. But it's you know, from a Batman versus Superman kind of thing. This is a pretty decent dry run. It It is. And I think what this and actually I was even thinking in terms of um, the X-Men Days of Future Past, the modern television and cinema have done a nice job making a speedster seem like the badass that they can be. Yeah. Because I think if you read Flash or if you watch the Super Friends, um, you know, it there's a level of sort of like, oh, he's the funny guy. <laughs> yeah. But and and you don't take that power set as as seriously. Like I don't think I ever took Quicksilver particularly seriously. He was like the irritating brother. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and speedsters are very much DC's sort of area of expertise. Yeah. Quicksilver was never a big character when I was growing up. No. Um. But just demonstrating, you know, the the very first time I watched the episode of um. Justice League Unlimited, <laughs> where Flash oh, yeah, that was fucking <laughs> saves glorious. the day and runs around the Earth so that he can come back and punch Lex in the face. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> just destroy him. It's like you really begin to think, you know, there's there's stuff here with this character that hasn't really been explored. <laughs> yeah, um, and a lot of it I don't think was really explored until post-crisis. Right. Um, and... As much as I love Mike Barron's initial run on Flash right after Crisis, he didn't wasn't able to explore a lot of that because Wally had been depowered. He could yeah. hit maybe Mach 1, which is similar to what's going on with the show right now. That's kind of part of why I like it. It's <laughs> okay, yeah, it sort of mimics all that stuff. Um, and he examined more, well, what does it mean to have those powers? You had to sleep all the time. You had to eat all the time. And even that was revolutionary at the time. I really don't think it was until Grant Morrison on JLA where you really got to see, because I remember, I want to say it was in New World Order, where Flash is chasing the uh, the super-powered, uh, the super-speed Martian, mm. um, and was in his head trying to, okay, things are red-shifting, and if I can get around and hit him, I can hit him and propel him at this speed, which is escape velocity. And so that's the first time I really remember saying, what does it really mean to be able to move at, the speed of light and beyond it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think they're beginning to explore that a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit in this series. Yeah. And, and as he ev eventually becomes faster and faster and faster, we'll probably see more of that. I would think. <laughs> <laughs> oh but no, he's pining over Iris again. This would have been a really great time to talk about physics. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, even uh, in uh, this episode, the, the Flash episode, you know, Oliver saying, why are you running in blind? You right. can see everything. You have the time. Why are you operating yeah. this way? So it's beginning to be explored here, and I am kind of enjoying that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, and you know, we, we haven't gotten to the, the Arrow episode necessarily yet. There, there's a mu nice moment after he uses his super speed and he comes back to what he and his Scoobies have dubbed the Arrow Cave. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, where he, he realizes, ah, oh, I want sushi. And he like zips back out. <laughs> yeah. He <laughs> comes back. And I don't want to get a- ahead of myself there, but I thought that was a nice moment in that it tied up two or three things. I, again, I love the Mike Barron run of the Flash. It's, okay, I've been running, I'm hungry, so he's got to go get some yeah. food. And then he just cavalierly comes back and doesn't have his mask on. Like, just sort of, because part of Mike Barron's <laughs> Wally West was, yeah, it's okay if people know who I am. So just cavalier with his secret identity. It's you know, in Barron's run, sometimes he took it seriously, other times, eh, I'll tell you who I am. Yeah. So I, I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, and I think as part of that also, one of the things that was nice was watching Diggle's reaction to meeting a metahuman. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> He's fast. <laughs> that's, that's very fast. <laughs> does, does he do everything that fast? Does, how fast does he have to go to the bathroom after he drinks something like that? <laughs> well, and yeah, that's just pure schoolyard <laughs> comic but, book talk. But if metahumans or mutants or superheroes or whatever started showing up, that's what everybody would be talking about. Yeah. So, you know, when when, when Dig does that and when Lila later does that, it's just, just nice. Yeah. And, so, I, and, it's, and it speaks more about how the character impacts the world around him to a certain degree than even just watching him do what he does. Well, yeah, every once in a while you need dude on the street to to ground what these people are really doing. Right. And we haven't really seen it all that much in flash because everybody is either an ally or or an enemy or or enamored with him right you know by the end of the first episode you know he had joe west on his side Mm -hmm. and dr wells and his scooby gang and he went out and did this stuff and the only man on the street is fucking iris who's more oh he's wonderful let me blog about him (laughs) well (laughs) although you know now you've got in terms of how he's impacted others, even before he did anything particularly bad, Eddie was immediately distrustful of him. Yeah. Like to the point of, I want a task force. I need to, I need to turn this into my own private witch hunt. This guy can't be allowed to be out there running around. Yeah. But something like that was inevitable because he's Eddie Thrawn Oh, absolutely. He's going to be the reverse flash. <clears throat> well, that's that's the if question. He's not yeah. <laughs> so there was no way he was going to be raw raw unless they wanted to go you know the the horrible Spider-Man 2 route of I love you Spider-Man, I have powers now. I kill you. Well, I mean but that's the first instance of man on the street seeing the spectacular things that Barry could do and then immediately deciding to take defensive action rather than being enamored or in awe as, say, Iris. Yeah, and it's weird. When it comes to superheroes as opposed to vigilantes, that tends to be how they're written, with the exception of Spider-Man. Right. Yeah, and Spider-Man had one dude who had a media outlet talking shit about him, which really <laughs> kind of worked against him. But otherwise, it's, you know, oh, these people are here, and they're altruistic, and they're here to help. Now, some dude who can run at Mach 1, I think you'd see a lot more... Yeah. Distrust. Even you know, until he saved your dog from being run over from a car, it would be. Uh. <laughs> well, that's always supposed to be Luther's motivation for why he is Superman's biggest foe is he is distrustful of people with godlike powers who will walk among us. Yeah. Combined with the 
I should be the one who, yeah, who yeah. drives everything. Right. You yeah. can't be better than me. This isn't fair. If there's a man on the street in any comic book universe, it's not fucking Lex Luthor, okay? <laughs> man in the condo. <laughs> man Pen- in the penthouse. penthouse. Suite yeah. of the condo. <laughs> yeah. It, Luther's not speaking for the reader. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I, I didn't mean to imply that he was, but that's... The... Yeah, I, I got what you're saying. Yeah. But it was a slow pitch. I had to swing at it. It's what can okay. I tell you? It's all right. Um, so, yeah, I guess the last... You know, unless there's anything in general about the Flash episode you want to, we haven't covered. Um, I thought it was interesting that we ran into, and I had to, I had to refresh my memory on the character Sandra in the coffee shop at the very end, who is Oliver's uh, baby mama from back a couple of uh, a couple of seasons. They introduced her as the girl that he knocked up either in high school or college, and that um, mommy queen. Um, had her sent away. I had forgotten all about supposedly that. Supposedly to just get an abortion it. or something, and she never did. She actually gave birth to the kid. Because I had a big bold, who's the brunette? <laughs> yeah. And so somewhere out there is an Ollie Jr. running around that she well, was buying hot chocolate for. Because, yeah, um, Oliver's son in the DC universe, at least uh, pre-New 52, Connor Hawk, was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, some girl that Oliver knocked up in college. Yep, and this and, is Sandra Hawk. Okay. All right, so... I'd completely forgotten about that. I, I thought she was an absolute mystery because I was going to say when she calls home, we're clearly meant to believe that's Oliver's kid that she's talking to. So clearly it is. Yeah. So, all right. So just and off it's, the... It's, it's, and it's on the heels of his conversation with um, Barry. We don't, we're not the ones that get the girl. Well, you, you kind of did. You're, you're sort of tied to this one now because you got a kid. <laughs> well... All right, let, let's come to, back to that in a second, um, because, yeah, I'm already off the top of my head now that, yeah, you've confirmed that's definitely yeah. going to be Connor Hawk. I think we already see the beginning of Roy turning to drugs, because Connor will come in, mm-hmm. um, although, no, it can't be. It's only been seven or eight years, so Connor can only be eight. He's supposed to be like five or something. Okay, so yeah, he, he's not going to come in and potentially be a partner, too, because that was my first thought. Yeah. But unless somehow he's a meta and he like, you know, magically like ages. But <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't seem likely. No particle accelerators have blown up. Feel like out of species. Oh, one minute you're five years old, the next minute you're you're a fully grown woman. Oh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> or like any other soap opera that was on during the seventies. Yeah. It was, but um it could still work as the thing, you know, now Oliver can't spend as much time with Roy because yeah. he's spending time with Connor and Roy feels neglected. Right. And, you know, runs off and shoots himself up. And Well, he seems like he's like, you know, half an issue away from doing that in any given episode anyway. It's just like yeah. everything triggers him. Yeah. Roy has been a problem this season because it either goes between, yeah, he's half ready to just jump off a roof or he's just standing there doing nothing. Right. And- yeah. Apparently Roy wasn't good enough to, to come to Central City, um, but Felicity was. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that, but and it certainly wasn't. Like, meant- gee, you're you're there to take out a metahuman. Uh, you're not bringing along the other. Dig is okay. He can come. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's face reality. It's Roy. He might have warrants out on him in, in it's Central true. City. <laughs> oh shit! I can't go back there. Can't show my face there. Okay. So, anything else about Flash? You want to talk a little bit about the the Arrow? Let's talk about the Arrow. Um. All right. <laughs> First of all. Captain Boomerang. 
has the worst fucking Australian accent I've ever heard. I, I don't make... think he had, he had an accent. I don't think it was Australian. I'm not even sure what the hell it was. I caught hints of Australian occasionally. He fucking makes Kevin Costner look like a dialect coach. <laughs> With his accent, yeah, it vacillated wildly and mostly sounded American. He should have been Captain Ultimate Frisbee, for Christ's <laughs> fucking sake. And he throws boomerangs wrong. I only know this because I had a boomerang okay. as a kid. And you throw them. It's, it's a comic book. It doesn't matter. They're magic vibrational boomerangs sure. that, you know. In, magic vibrational, you say. A different kind of magic vibration. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, these things stick in the walls. You don't want to fuck around with that. What's wrong That's with you? That's true. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and supposedly magical or technical enough that, yeah, vibe sort of twitches it in a... <laughs> In the Flash episode, and it flies completely around the room. But yeah, you're supposed to throw a boomerang. You hold it by the end of one of the wings, and you throw it overhand. Okay. Which is something only a fucking geek kid who had a boomerang as a kid would know, <laughs> or an aborigine. But he's, he he threw them like frisbees. So Captain Ultimate Frisbee. Okay, I take your word for it. I did not have a boomerang as a child. Well, I didn't even have darts. I, I had one of those Velcro dart ball games where like you threw the ball against the wall and it stuck and you got points i had lawn darts i was a fucking champ oh we had lawn darts i could be a i could be captain lawn captain lawn dart i'm writing that down (laughs) yeah i i did well with those and rarely killed anybody (laughs) (laughs) rarely only did you kill as many people as ollie or or fewer um it's hard to say i've killed a lot of brain cells between then and now but jesus we hoarded those things because we got them Right when people started screaming, oh, no, these are deadly, my dad immediately ran out and got, like, four sets. <laughs> and uh, That is so your dad. Yeah. So, yeah, I played them all while I was a kid, but apparently there's no super heroic or super villain potential for lawn darts. So I got a job like a sucker. I threw javelin briefly in high school on the track team, and that, that came to an end when I almost uh, impaled my coach because uh, aim, aim in me, you know. <laughs> he knows what he did. <laughs> I switched to discus. That was much safer. <laughs> so, important safety tip. When Amanda has a javelin... I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. Thanks. It was still queued up. It was <laughs> it was too easy. Um, Yeah, the recurring... With, a, with Arrow, if you don't watch it, there's a structure in a lot of ways very much like Lost, and there's always a couple yeah. of flashbacks yep. to either... The island, or now it's Hong Kong, where he's being trained by Amanda Waller and Argus. Yes. I fucking hate Argus. It's the poor man's shield. It is. That's it is. all it has ever existed to be. It's and really I, o- only existed since the New 52, as far as I remember. I still hate Skinny Waller. Well, it's, you, it's, the, it's not the actress's fault. I just, when I saw that, like, Oprah Winfrey, of all people, is rumored to possibly be Waller in the Suicide Squad movie. I got excited because even if she's like a size 10, that's still far larger than anybody that they're willing to cast right now. And that's about the best possible casting news. It should be great as Amanda Waller. As an old school, The Wall. Yeah. Yeah, she'd be awesome. She'd be it. great. They were also talking um, Viola, Viola, Viola Davis. Viola or... Davis and Octavia Spencer. Yeah. Um, no. um, But then I saw somebody else in a thread comment further down that why don't they ask for Queen Latifah because she apparently played a very similar character in Chicago. Yeah, she'd probably be all right. But, you know, be that as it may. But but when it it comes to a voice of utter authority, 
Oprah could fucking do that. Totally. <laughs> You've got a suicide mission. You've yeah. got a suicide mission. <laughs> You're going to die. You're going to die. You, gotta, you have a bomb on your neck, and you have a bomb on your neck. <laughs> that was too easy. Um. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, back to the, the flashbacks. This one only struck me as weird in that using Amanda Waller as trying to get her to have Oliver be okay with torture yes made a lot of sense for the character and certainly worked within the structure of the episode where he was just so clearly willing and easy to in- intimidate yeah. and torture people well it was also funny because this episode is actually titled the brave and the bold which is not to batman yet again but yes <laughs> but it's it, it was interesting that um Waller's character makes the comment to to Oliver, it's not enough to be brave, you have to be bold. And when Oliver starts to say that, it's like a call response because Lila, who's also been tra- trained under Waller, knows how to finish the sentence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, yes, using that as a way into Oliver later questioning whether or not he's lost his humanity in being a vigilante, it worked. From a technical standpoint... How do you torture a guy with a bow and arrow really effectively? You'd kill the fucking guy. Well, I'm not an expert in such things, but I would imagine if you are skilled enough as a shot that you know where you can take your shot so that you're not near a major artery, but you could inflict pain by, like, then you twist it around or something while it's in there. Yeah, but as a front line, this is how you're going to torture somebody? Archery doesn't seem the best way. It seems to me the best way to torture someone with archery is to tie them to a chair and just talk with them about archery for a while. <laughs> oh, please shut up about your recurve. I'll tell you anything you want to fucking know. I don't want to know what a fletching is. Just please, here's where the base is. Shoot me in the head. Let's make it stop. Um, But yeah, I mean, to have Oliver question his humanity was... I thought effective, but the the biggest problem I had was the big conversation with Oliver and uh, Barry mm-hmm. having this discussion of, I feel like I'm losing Oliver Queen. It, it reminded me, all I could think was, this is True Detective Season 2, Underwear Perverts. It's <laughs> exactly the kind of conversation that Russ Cole would have about losing his... It just, yeah. I couldn't help it. <laughs> underwear perverts <laughs> um so. yeah no I, I i think um oliver in this episode is beginning to spend a little bit more time having been near barry he wants he wants to run the show he he, he wants barry to help but only as insofar as he'll let barry help but i think barry rubbed off on him more than he understands in terms of how he's now being kind of influenced you know, there's a difference between being the vigilante and being a hero and what what that means in terms of how you conduct yourself, perhaps even out in the field. Yeah, and I can see that. But even Barry kind of addressed that at the, the very end where he said, you can absolutely inspire people. Not as the arrow. He's a douche. <laughs> you know, it's true. <laughs> but. In theory, in this show, they could have, you know, if it if it has the kind of legs that, say, Smallville did, where it runs for eight, nine, ten years, they could have a progression from the original killer to 
a much more pre-New 52 liberal, I'm for the little guy, violence is not the first thing I'm going to try to do. Well, I, I think that, you, yeah, and I think you come to that point from what he takes from this conversation with Barry. Oliver Queen can inspire people. Oliver Queen is the philanthropist in Star City. Oliver Queen, you know, wants to fight the fight for the little guy because he understands that he comes from a place of privilege and not everybody else has that opportunity. Yeah. So I could I could see it definitely moving in that direction. That that said, I I miss the pre New Fifty Two. <laughs> Yeah, just older dude and just contrarian with everybody and yeah <laughs> um yeah i mean on a particular note just looking at my notes here um that captain boomerang five bombs trick yeah uh i really thought initially that was going to be a riff on what darwin cook did mm. uh in new frontier where it turned out there were only four bombs and it was just to keep him busy running around while oh, he yeah. made his escape um what they did in this episode made a lot more sense to me um, in the sense that when it comes to Barry versus Oliver, Barry's first instinct was, okay, well, I need help. Let me go get my friends Yeah, to be able to do it. Where I'm Oliver's not... first instinct is, how can I fix this? Yeah. I mean, it took him a year and a half to even bring Roy in for potential help. Well, and also, you know, think about even in the first season, which was not the strongest season because they were trying to figure out what they were doing with the show, but how long it took him to start to trust Diggle. Yeah. And and let Diggle in. Yeah. So... Spent the first two episodes trying to shake Diggle. <laughs> yeah. So from a character standpoint, what Flash did in this, I think, worked a lot better for the story than... You know, standard geek with six million comic books. Oh, this is going to be the Darwin Cook thing. He'll run around for a while. and Yeah. So yeah, I thought it was a lot more effective. Um, I liked I liked also that they ended it with a, let's throw down just for the two of us to see who would win. I want to know who won. Well, <laughs> I wish that they had some footage online as like extended episode stuff. <laughs> yeah, they should have ended that with the minute they got close to each other. Just fade to an oil painting and play Eye of the Tiger. That was straight out of fucking Rocky Three. <laughs> it really was. So yeah, we'll we'll never find out. We but might want to know. We might see uh, Oliver with uh, a few bruises. <laughs> well, Edson, I'm wondering. You know, the next episode of Flash to get back to that. Doesn't Eddie have in, in the comic books um, have a cane? Um, no, that was. Uh, Solomon. Oh, uh, Dr. Zoom. Yeah. Okay. Professor Zoom. Yeah, because there were ultimately a, a couple of reverse flashes over yeah, there the were, years. Yeah, there were. Um, okay. So, but I mean, they could certainly combine them here. Yeah. If they do that, that would seem to be a bit of a flag. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And he certainly took a beating in this episode, so I can kind That's of see that coming up. That's why I'm wondering. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, in the previews for next week, we get our first half-decent look at Reverse Flash. And, right. You know, it was clear to everybody with the yellow blur and the pilot that it was going to be Reverse Flash. But no, that's definitely him. It's just so, a question of, of which Reverse Flash. If we even find out for a while. I don't think we're going to find out for a while. I, um, now, there's there's some some red flags when... 
Barry was fighting the character that had the um, electrical powers um, in a couple episodes back. The, uh, the one that was up on the on the tower when the dark matter wave oh yeah came I'm, out I'm drawing a blank on which one that was but um he had the power to shut down Flash's abilities and that's why Wells took a blood sample from the corpse of that character okay so now he has at least genetic material that he's examining um that that could have the key to how to extract this ability that flash has to to get one with the speed force which they haven't really talked about yet right um also if wells is professor zoom then he's a time traveler right Mm -hmm. so he may already have this power (laughs) yeah i mean and that's one of the things people are speculating about that he's really reverse flash because clearly he can walk or was reverse flash somewhere along the line and yeah, he's time traveled, and honestly, I I have no idea. Yeah, they've certainly not given any indication that he has that level of power. Although there are a lot of time travelers, at least relative to other stories in Flash's canon. There's a some guy Cadabra. Um, yeah, Abracadabra. Yeah, who is a time traveler from like the 64th century or some shit like that. Yeah, and Max Mercury, and yeah, there's a bunch of them. I mean, shit, Impulse. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, I'll be curious to see how they resolve it. And yet, at the other, on the other hand, I don't want them to resolve it quickly. I'm, I'm happy to to stay guessing. It makes the show interesting for me every week if I don't know. Yeah, I'm really glad the show has caught on because of all the comic book shows that are are going on right now. This is the one. And I think I've said this before that most clearly embraces we're a comic book, and there's yeah. going to be bright colors and. Not silly costumes, or we're going to have costumes, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, there's superheroes and supervillains, and we'll call them metahumans to keep it grounded enough, but but yeah, it's just, it's fun. Yeah. Um, I know we weren't necessarily going to talk about this, but Constantine has gotten a lot better, but has not yet been picked up for a renewal. Yeah, um... It was uh, the original order was 13 episodes. It started later in the season than I think they originally anticipated. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been canceled at this point. It's just they've said, all right, we're going to stop production for right now. But it's early enough in the run that the NBC still has the chance or right or whatever to make a decision. Right. Um, But yeah, as, as for right now, they haven't ordered a back nine. It was that show. It got off rough on its feet that that pilot had significant problems that they immediately tried to fix which made it encouraging i mean we we did an episode with a big chunk on like the second episode i think right but uh yeah i mean this past week's episode was not bad um the week before i thought was a lot more solid there with the possessed kid yeah there were some legitimate creepy moments in that some good John Constantine. I mean, opening the episode up with, yeah, I picked up this chicken, banged her. Oh, shit, I got to run. Boyfriend's here. Right. <laughs> Much and, more of the bastard John Constantine beginning to come out. And the use of Papa Midnight, I think, in that episode was solid. Yeah. Um, One thing I am finding, and I don't know how they'll address this, is they can't seem to decide how to utilize more than one sidekick at once. So the episodes 
where Zed is the sidekick, sidekick, we don't see Chaz. And when Chaz is the sidekick, we don't see Zed. Yeah, at least so far. <laughs> and it's yeah, everybody's got an excuse. Part of that has been, at least with uh last week's episode with the possessed kid, um that was supposed to be the second episode of the season. Oh, okay. So it was probably okay, let's do a quick rewrite. Interesting. Um, okay. To get rid of uh I don't even remember the name of the character from the pilot at this point. Yeah. Um Live. Yes. So so yeah, that probably had something to do with it. Um Yeah, I mean the thing is, Constantine always historically works alone. I don't want to see a huge Scooby gang around. No, because that's where Milligan went wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, and I still read and kind of enjoyed Justice League Dark, but Constantine has never really fit. And right. So, yeah, Constantine is a loner. That's yeah. where he works best. And I don't disagree. It just it makes it that much harder to get meaningful character development out of how the characters in his world interact not just with him but with others in his world when you don't see them from week to week yeah and that's true and it's a luxury that a comic that ran for 20 25 years had yeah no and it's also in print you, you can get right into his head and know what he's thinking <laughs> and that doesn't come across in a visual medium I, I don't really have a problem with fine switch him off come up with a bullshit reason for right now yeah. In the long run, uh, there's some magical thing if they spend too much time together. Uh, Jazz's, Maybe. <laughs> Jazz's dick blows up. Or Zed gets terrible boils on her neck. and I, I don't care. But Next week's episode is supposed to be centered on possibly the Resurrection Crusade because uh, they made a big point heavy-handedly of talking about her secretive past um, that she won't talk about. Okay. Because secret past is secret. <laughs> and... <laughs> Always is. <laughs> they they um, introduced what appears to be the, the head of that particular cult. Um, Zed in the comic book was originally intended to be the vessel for the second coming. Um, and then she escaped the cult. Yeah, so it's it looks been like a, they're, they're coming looking for her. It's been a long time since I read Original Sin. So I'm, I got to hear somewhere. I'll have to dig it back out before next week's episode. But it also looked like if I saw the, the pictures in the trailer correctly, something pointing towards vampires and Constantine also has history with a vampire cult canonically in the Hellblazer stories. So... Oh, yeah. And Ellie the Succubus from yep. <laughs> Garth Ennis's run. And that's a good thing about 20 years of stories. There's a lot you can dig from. I'm just glad they got him smoking now and again at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's like they, they, they backed off from the, oh, no, you know, he can't smoke, he can't smoke. They also have had some nods towards, you know, the, um, he, he had a, a a story arc where it's implied that he, he might be bisexual or at least at one point had a relationship with a guy. And he's had a couple of comments he'd, he's made offhandedly in the series so far that it, that are also like, yeah, I, I could get with this guy, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, they're they're trying. They're trying. It's gotten better. <laughs> Yeah. I hope they get a back nine to to really try and get it as, as close as they can and as solid as they can. But you know, even and it's hard to take a step back when you're a guy with a John Constantine <laughs> statue on his mantle. But yeah. trying to take a step back of just is this a good show? It's now it is good. It, it's it's getting to good. I it's, think they could do a lot more. It's it's like how I felt about the Dresden Files adaptation. There is so much material there to draw from, and they they didn't. I don't I don't know exactly what happened, but they drew from it in such a shallow way that 
had they been more faithful to the material they were adapting, they would have had a much more solid show and it probably would have lasted longer. Yeah, it's a similar thing. That show was good. It ain't great. Constantine's not great yet. But when you consider, you know, they're supposed to be drawing from this classic horror comic and they're so timid about showing horror elements other than the possession episode last week. Yeah. Um, and you've got a show on TV like Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, you would think. And Hannibal's also NBC, so you'd think NBC would be a little... Yeah. You know, <laughs> they had the, what, Agony Angel in season one right. of Hannibal and... So, you know... We, we can't let Constantine smoke a cigarette? That's terrible. And and we're you know only going to show enough gore to imply that there is gore, but we're not going to you know have have anything beyond that. We're going to hear some crunching sounds and a, a spray of blood. Yeah, yeah, they could clearly go a lot further. Um, I think part of the problem is they're pairing it up with Grim, yeah, which is certainly has Constantine elements, Hellblazer elements, but is not you know really horror. Right, it's action horror at best so yeah to get some of the 13 14 year olds who can't go out on friday night because they don't have a car and they can't buy beer <laughs> to to then take them from grim to then hear all the blood drained out of his body and... yeah, but i don't know i they they could just as easily be watching hannibal it's, it's not in the same time slot yeah <laughs> i suppose that's true but and that comes down to to parenting you know you it's your decision to let your kid watch or not watch a particular thing. Yeah, but it's NBC's decision to be, how can we maximize the amount of money we can suck out of this two hours of television? True. True. So to suddenly move to a show that has half the audience that might carry over from Grimm being shut off by mom and dad. <laughs> I, I, I believe I saw John Constantine man-fucking and beating someone with their own arm. <laughs> It's not a wise money-making decision True. for NBC. So True. But the show's definitely getting better. I, I hope they get a chance to to get to the end of a full 22-episode season and, and make a decision based on that. I agree. Because, yeah, based on whatever ratings might have come out of that first episode, they probably rightly lost some viewers after that one. They right. made smart choices after that, but if you got one chance to make a first impression, that really wasn't the right one. It was not. All right, how are we doing on time? Oh, we've got an hour 14. Okay. All right, so you want to do a quick rundown of uh, DC Convergence? Let's do that. All right, so yeah, we've been doing it for the last three weeks. This is the last week of it because, um, yeah, it's just four weeks of two-issue miniseries of what DC is doing as they pack up their shit and move to <laughs> L.A. Um, these are, uh, like I said, fourth week, so I believe it should be released April 29th. Um Except for Booster Gold, which is one of these series. Yay, Booster! <laughs> Indeed, and we'll get to that. Um, Speaking of time traveling. Yes. Uh, all of these seem to take place on pre-Crisis on Infinite Earths multiverse worlds. Okay. Um, which means these are probably the ones I've been least excited about of all of them. Because even though, as a little kid, I grew up reading these... Uh, you know, as you're old enough to start to appreciate continuity and right. appreciate more than man in unitard punches other man in unitard. <laughs> um, Underwear perverts. You could say it. You said it already. Okay. There you go. <laughs> but um, Yeah. For me, those are the 
crisis and on comics. So these, yeah. while I remember a lot of them, um, they, they are not, when I think of comics that I love, nah, these were entry-level comics. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, it seems to me these are kind of for a limited audience of people who were set in their comic-loving ways the way I was in 86, 87, 88 with post-crisis. You know, these are ones who were previous to that and at some level still latch on to I wish the multiverse never ever went away so we're probably talking people 50 or over yeah or Dan Dio and Jeff Johns basically probably Dan Dio and Jeff Johns yeah <laughs> so so yeah these are the ones I'm least excited about but there's one or two potential winners in here well, there might so. be like some hipster level like fan base that that treats these as like their PBR or something that they, they like them or ironically or some shit. Yeah. If you can find a quarter bin to dig them out of, <laughs> if you're, if you're drinking PVR, you're not grabbing a lot of classic <laughs> fucking justice league of America. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I suppose anything's possible. Everything's digital. Now you can get all your shit, but it's, 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 you know, if you're spending all your, all your money on mustache wax, you're probably going to want to get your comics from the quarter bin. <laughs> I suppose, or, or on your iPad <laughs> to ironically flip through all-star comics from 1974 and <laughs> while you're on the subway to Whole Foods. And... Christ, I'm just full of rage now. Can we, can we talk about these books, please? Talk about the books. All right. Um, all right, first one, Justice Society of America, uh, written by Dan Abnett, artists uh, Tom Derenick and Trevor Scott. Okay. Uh, older and in full retirement under the dome, members of the Justice Society get the chance to regain their youths to stave off forces from the Quad universe, but the promise of youth comes with a deadly price. Okay. So, yeah, this is pretty much clearly the Earth 2 JSA yep. uh, from back in the old days when they did the annual JLA-JSA crossovers. Um, and the only one of those that I ever remembered was, you know, and you, you've seen it, I've since bought it mm -hmm. as a back issue. And it was not in great shape, and it still was not PBR money. But uh, <laughs> Justice League of America 137, where on the cover it's Superman fighting Captain Marvel. Right, right. Um, that you And you recreated the scene downstairs with... With action figures. Yeah. Damn right. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, and, and back then I was too young to understand them. I've talked about this before. I didn't know what the multiverse was. I, I took the books on a book-by-book -book right. basis, which is why I had no problem saying, okay, fine, in Marvel Tales... Spider-Man is dating Gwen Stacy, and in Amazing Spider-Man, he's dating Mary Jane Watson. Yes. Um, but it also meant, you know, I would say, oh, okay, Batman has a different costume, and apparently he's married to Batwoman today. Yes. Good for him. I missed that issue. <laughs> um, it seems like a way to maybe retell the whole Justice Society trapped in Ragnarok thing mm. that DC tried to do. Because when Crisis happened and Earth 2 went away, the Justice Society was back in the 40s, and there was no really way to bring them up to date. So yeah, they did a whole thing where they were grabbed by Odin to fight in a simulation of Ragnarok for years and years and years and never aged, and that's how they brought him back to present day. Odin's a dick. So it, it may be a way to try to do a similar kind of thing to bring the Justice Society into the new 52 universe. Oh, well, maybe. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, back pre-crisis, when Roy Thomas was writing JSA, he had them age in real time, so they were all in like their 50s. Hmm. 
So they had to find a way around it, and they probably have to do the same thing here, I'm guessing. Okay. Even though there are 52 worlds in the multiverse out there, <laughs> if you're going to be a multiverse, fucking own it. Whatever. <laughs> Which they've kind of done with Earth 2, but yeah. that seems to be closing up. So, so yeah. Um, all right, next one. Infinity Incorporated. Um Written by Jerry Ordway, artist Ben Caldwell. Uh, the young heroes of Infinity, Inc. must choose between the path set for them by their parents or the one they set for themselves as they faced post-apocalyptic Jonah Hex. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, I will buy this one to see if post-apocalyptic Jonah Hex... Is partly rob- robotic with, like, a, a red eye. <laughs> well, no, this is clearly from Hex. Right, right. Back in the 80s where they... Shot him, him into out the into the future. Yeah. Um, so I'll buy it just to see if that idea is still as ridiculous as I've always thought it was from back then. <laughs> um, otherwise, I don't have any history at all with Infinity Inc. Um, Even when Todd McFarlane was drawing it, because he was drawing it, I want to say that was his first major assignment. It was before he was on Hulk, which really broke him out and at least got my attention. I think they made an appearance in um, the early 2000s again, though, as... Um, a team that was put together with, um, I want to call him Black Lightning, and that's not right. <laughs> um, uh, Obsidian? No, the 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 children of, um, yeah, the, the children of Black Lightning. <laughs> yeah, I think there was Thunder and Lightning. Well, Infin- yeah. Infinity Inc. was always supposed to be the children of justice society and okay. children of other heroes sort of rotated in and like out. steel's kid was in it and yeah exactly yeah so but like I, I never never read it um as time has gone on and they've popped up i've caught an issue or two of later ones but yeah. this is not a book where i have any fondness for my childhood right now so yeah, i'll be curious to see what they what they do with it just in so far as how 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 it works because the one from the 2000s that i'm thinking about i I feel like lex Luthor was in the background of it pulling the strings for some reason it's possible but you know i look let's face reality we we have a comics podcast i will check all of these out (laughs) if only because if one's a real stinker it'll be fun tearing it apart but if one winds up being awesome cool i want to talk about that too absolutely um all right so uh, Detective Comics, uh, writer Len Wein, mm. artist Dennis Cohen and Bill Sienkiewicz. Oh. Uh, Helena Wayne and Dick Grayson fight side by side in memory of Bruce Wayne as they decide who will become the next Batman. My money's on Helena. Yeah. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, uh, look, I'll buy this for Dennis. Until she's visited by Nocturna. Yeah, okay. So yeah, there, there's your out. It's just a whole new Batwoman. <laughs> we'll just pull the plug and start over. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'll get this for Dennis Cohen and Bill Sienkiewicz at yeah. the very least, because it'll be cool to look at. Um, the other cool thing is the promo art on this. It's got Robin and Huntress fighting this giant nutcracker. Sweet. Which is like, just like Gotham City was like from the forties right, up right. until the seventies with giant typewriters and big props <laughs> and shit. Um, so it might, it might have a, a retro feel to the story with mm. sort of that eighties, sketchy look that Cohen and Sienkiewicz are really good at. Yeah. So, so yeah, this might be fun with dark art. Yeah. It, it might be. A, I don't know how it's going to fit together, but this one looks kind of cool. 
Um, all right, Action Comics. Yep. Uh, written by Justin Gray. Okay. So that's a positive right there. Yep. Uh, artist Claude St. Aubin and Sean Parsons. All right. Uh, Superman teams up with Power Girl, but can they stop a nuclear strike from Lex Luthor and Stalin of Red Sun Moscow? <laughs> because Lex Luthor, man on the street, palling around with <laughs> with Stalin with nukes. Sure. <laughs> um, this one's kind of interesting to me because Power Girl didn't even really exist until, not even didn't really, her first appearance is 1976. Yep. Um, it was All-Star Comics 58. Um, and was clearly Earth 2. Right. It was never part of this. Now, the interesting thing is when I went to look that up, because I didn't remember off the top of my head, I had that fucking book when I was a kid. Really? I did. And my mom chucked it when we moved when I was eight. <laughs> so between my mother and my brother, it's lucky I have any fucking comic books True. at all. It's, it's like they were conspiring against you. Yeah. And so, yeah, between this and my Star Wars cards, which disappeared <laughs> in the same move when I was eight oh, that dear. my comic books did, this is why my mom is going to the cheap home near the fucking pork <laughs> rendering plant. Well, gee, if I still had those, I could be trading them on eBay and I could get you a better home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but, uh, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a character that has a pre-crisis history, but only one that lasts about eight or nine years yeah um now the superman shown in the promo art mm -hmm. isn't because superman portrayed uh the earth 2 superman portrayed portrayed pre-crisis had salt and pepper hair right right um this is not him although it's a superman with trunks so it's not hmm. the new 52 superman so figuring out how these two fit together it might be kind of interesting to check out yeah you know to see a power girl that's right back to the original power girl because after Crisis, trying to figure out how to shoehorn her into things, her origin was always kind of screwy. Yeah. So, might be kind of cool for that. Um, all right. World's Finest Comics, written mm -hmm. by Paul Levitz, uh, artist Jim Fern, uh, Jim Fern, rather, and Joe Rubenstein, uh, with cartoons by Shannon Wheeler. Not okay. sure what that means. <laughs> uh, the Seven Soldiers of Victory regroup to defend their city against the Quad invasion while cartoonist Scribbly Gibbet transcribes their adventures. All right, that's where the cartoons fit okay. in. Um, you might get excited about this thinking, oh, the Grant Morrison Seven Soldiers of Victory. Yeah, that, that's not what it is. No. It's the original Seven Soldiers of Victory, which was Green Arrow, Speedy, Shining Knight, Vigilante, Star Spangled Kid, Stripesy. Now, God. Stripesy, I had to look Stripesy yeah. up, <laughs> was the Star Spangled Kid's adult sidekick. Don't look at me like that. That's what it said. <laughs> and the Crimson Avenger. I have to go kick some ass. Can you drive me to the store? <laughs> <laughs> Can you buy beer for me? <laughs> like, oh, that was a great adventure. I'd like to kick back. Can you buy me some beer? <laughs> I've seen terrible things. I fought in Ragnarok, for Christ's sake. <laughs> um, yeah, this team was big in the 40s and 50s. It showed up a few times in the 70s. I know nothing about this version of the Seven Soldiers. Yeah. Um, the people who are going to be most excited about this book are fucking dead. <laughs> I, um, but Paul Levitz, he's been at DC forever. So if anybody can find something kind of cool to do with this, right? he might be the guy to do it. Um, it would have to be him or Giffen. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, if Giffen did it, there'd be a double-page spread of Stripesy in a fetal position going, I'm a sidekick to a child. What have I done with my life? It's true. So it's probably better it's Levitz who, you know, with his work on Legion, he's got a a respect for, I'd say respect for, but clearly there's cartoons in here. So how how serious is going to be taken, I really don't know. You reach a point in his life where Stripes, he just gets up on the roof of the house. It's all for you, Star Spangled Girl. <laughs> all for you. No, Star Spangled <laughs> Kid was Sylvester Pembleton. Oh. oh. So, <laughs> um, all for you, Sylvester. <laughs> Courtney took over the identity of Star Spangled Kid until uh, Jack Knight uh, retired as Starman and gave her the uh, cosmic uh, cosmic rod. Right. Previously to that, she had Sylvester Pembleton's. It was ultimately a cosmic rod, but it wasn't the big, <laughs> cool-looking one. She had Sylvester's rod. She I'm had Sylvester. Leave that there. Sylvester Pembleton's cosmic rod. Yeah. Yes, it was delivered to. She's a child, for Christ's sake. We can't talk with this a way. chaperone. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't have stripesy. She had stripes, which was an armor. Now I got to go find Jeff John's stars and stripes because now <laughs> it makes more sense to me now that I've read stripes. <laughs> what stripes he was? Jesus Christ! All right, so I I may just get this for the fucking train wreck feel <laughs> <the> description. <laughs> the more you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll probably get it before this one. Crime Syndicate. Uh huh. Um. Not because of the writer, Brian uh, Buccolato, yep. uh, who's been doing good stuff with uh, Flash and Detective Comics uh, since the New 52. The uh, artist, Phil Winslade. Uh, Crime Syndicate is in, uh, let's see, Crime Syndicate, nope, sorry, Crime Syndicate, Crime Syndicate is hard to say after you've had three beers. <laughs> uh, their absolute control of the city is challenged when the dome comes down and changes everything. Now, Superwoman is on death row while the rest of the, te- rest of the team fights one million universes, Batman and Superman. Okay. I have no love whatsoever for the fucking crime syndicate. Yeah. I'm sick of the fucking crime syndicate. Yeah. They were kind of interesting in Grant Morrison's Earth 2. Right. Um, well, that was an Elseworlds story, though, wasn't it? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the first time I ever saw them was in a page early on in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yep. And they were just being wiped out. <laughs> Which uh, is pretty much all you want for them. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, Ultraman showed up in Grant Morrison's Animal Man. Yep. Um, when Psycho Pirate was tearing down post-crisis, pre-crisis. Mm-hmm. But he was in it for like a page. Um, and since then, it's been forever evil. And that was 10 pounds of crap in a five-pound quarter bin. It's, yeah, that was that was an event that was just irritating and I, went on entirely too long. So yeah, I'm... I'm done with the crime syndicate. Put them all on fucking death row. <laughs> and and put a dome over them. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> I will get it as I will get the first issue of all of these. Um, the most promising thing is, like I said, Brian Bucoletta writing it. Yeah. But it, he's he's got a long way to go with me for these characters. I've yeah. had enough. His work is cut out for him. Yeah. It's evil Superman. Look, evil versions of superheroes we've established on Smallville and The Flash once a season. Yeah. Do them once and then put them away for a while. <laughs> 42 minutes. Done. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, and here. <sighs> Blue Beetle. Okay. Writer Scott Lobdell. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Artist uh, Yishan Lee. Okay. <laughs> I'll just leave that whimper on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Hub City is on the brink of collapse and anarchy, but its heroes, Blue Beetle, Captain Adam, and Question, find inspiration and strength from the most unlikely source. Um, what does Lobdell know about Hub City? Can't he just write about L.A.? <laughs> I don't know. Can he? I don't know. <laughs> Look, I would be excited about this, except for a few things. First of all, Scott Lobdell's writing it. Um, yeah. Which means we could probably look forward to fucking Nightshade wanting to whore around with the rest of the team. <laughs> hanging out near the bug, waiting to slob the questions knob. Or, <laughs> But... All right. From a comic standpoint, the Charlton characters have almost no pre-Crisis on Infinite Earths history. Right. The first time they appeared in DC Comics was in Crisis on Infinite Earths. DC didn't get the rights to the characters until like 83 or any 84 anyway mm. and hadn't done anything with them. Okay. So they put them into Crisis so they could do something with them afterwards, but there is no pre-Crisis Charlton heroes in DC. Because um, they were in Charlton comics. Right. So there's certainly a, a history you can take from, but yeah. not in the DC universe. Um, the other problem is Grant Morrison revisited these three characters really effectively in Pox Americana just two or three weeks That's ago. That's right. That's right. So I love the Charlton characters. I have fond memories of I had reprints of the first Blue Beetle in question that I distinctly remember my parents buying for me at a fucking Zares department store. Oh God, Zares. In like the the <laughs> the mid seventies, not even the late seventies. Yeah. I, you know, with the Steve Ditko art and I really liked them. So I wanna like this. I'm gonna get it because I like these characters, but I'm not sure what Lobdell can do with them even on a good day. And two weeks after Grant Morrison, that's not a good day. No. It's not. It's, it's sort of setting him up for unfavorable comparisons, yeah. even more so than just he exists as a thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, just a couple more. Shazam, mm -hmm. uh, written by Jeff Parker, uh, artist Evan Doc Shaner. It's Shazam versus Steampunk as the world of Gotham City by Gaslight takes on Captain Marvel, family, and friends. That's odd. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what? Of all of them, this is the one I'm most interested in because there's potentially some opportunity here. Okay. Because the Earth S Captain Marvel, if you do him like in the 40s and 50s when it was Fawcett Comics, right? If you place it in that time frame, that's only you know 40 or 50 years past the 1880s, 1890s mm. Gotham by Gaslight, and you've got them fighting past their prime or it's much closer of a time intersection mm -hmm. and the darkness of those characters against the general lightness of the cc beck style mm. faucet captain marvel okay you could have something really interesting there i have no idea if that's the way they're going to go with it the only indication in the the promo art they showed was they had billy batson holding one of those old school square microphones and uh they had an image of captain nazi which could put it right around that time okay so there could be interesting stuff with this. And I like Jeff Parker as a writer. Yeah, just these these various matchups. I'm one did they have some sort of like bingo ball roller where they just put all these ideas in and they spun it up and then they reached in and they the uh, Captain Marvel family with 
Gotham by Gaslight. <laughs> no, they, they play lawn darts. Ah. <laughs> they should have called us. They should Shit tight, yo. <laughs> but yeah, of all of them uh, of this particular week, th- this one looks like it has the potential to be really kind of interesting. Yes. All right. So <laughs> this one may just be fun. Plastic Man and the Freedom Fighters. <laughs> I think that'll be fun. Written by uh, Simon uh, Oliver, uh, artist John McRae. Plastic Man and the Freedom Fighters are on the gallows in New York. <laughs> taken over by Nazis when robot superheroes attack from future's end and enemies become allies. And the promo art, it's got 40-style German tanks and Hitler statues. <laughs> then there's a silhouette of the of the, uh, the Freedom Fighters and Plastic Man. Uh, Plastic Man versus Nazis. How do you not at least give that oh, a try? Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a fun story, it sounds like it will be. Yeah. And you know, I, I like John McRae's art. Yes, he was really good on Hitman, so I'll give it a you know, give it a shot here. And then last one, this is the only one that is well. This is a, probably another you kind of have to buy it just to see what happens. Booster Gold, uh, written by Dan Jurgens, artist Alvaro Martinez and Raul Fernandez, mm-hmm. um, trapped with Rith Hunt. Ugh. Trapped with Rip Hunter and other time travelers, Booster and his future self must work together to get out of prison and off the planet. If this brings back Booster Gold and a Blue Beetle, it will be all worth it. I I agree. (laughs) I I like Booster. I will buy anything that he's in, at least to give it a try. Dan Juergens, he's done good work with Booster in the past. Yep. But considering the nature of the character... And his placement here, if there is a book of this week that is going to show the direction and any possible permanence mm. in the events of Convergence, this is probably going to be one. I agree, uh, because if you think back, um, Booster was so integral to the pre-New 52 stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> and... And the fact that he hasn't really been in this new universe has just been so, I don't want to say disappointing, but it's just, you know, he, he's just such a great character. And I I wish that we had had more of him than just a brief cameo in All-Star Western. Yeah, but that was awesome. It was awesome. I mean... But it also, like, as awesome as it was, like... But it's not Ted Cord. It's Jonah Hex. It's yeah. Well, it's. Did you read last week's Justice League three thousand? I did not. Or it might have been this week's. It's uh, yeah. They are running around in that universe, and it's clearly the two of them and trying to figure it out. I'll dig it out for Thank you. You. <laughs> you. You'd like it. I will and, read it. And written by Giffen and Demetrius. Oh so. yes, yes. Give that to me. Uh, okay. Well, I will put my hands on it. <laughs> It's not a book we're going to talk about this week, but it, like I said, I don't remember if it was this week or last week, but it's I'll find it for you. Thank you. All right. How are we doing on time? Oh, it's uh, 1.30. Okay. 1.36, 1.38. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about both of them? Yeah, sure. All right. Which one do you want to start with? Oh, let's start with Crossed. Okay. <laughs> so, Alan Moore. So, yeah, you kind of had to be one we had to. Try and talk about, yeah. Um, Crossed 100, number one, uh, Avatar comic, which means violence, which means not for everybody. Not for everybody. But yeah, written by Alan Moore, uh, art by Gabriel Andrade. Yeah, it's a uh, hundred years in the future of the Crossed universe. Uh, the world has moved on to go sort of Dark Tower terminology. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, got a group of survivors who are on a sort of home-built train operating on tracks, doing recon missions. Yes. Uh, doing a recon mission, trying to bring back books and artifacts of human Videos history. and, yeah, pictures. In a world where the Crossed, and if you've not read Crossed, Number one, it's extremely violent. It's not for everybody. It's it's like The Walking Dead if it went full gore fest, splatter punk. Well, it's it's sort of a cross between that and um, trying trying to remember the name of it. The there's that story that they used in Masters of Horror, um, Screwfly Solution, where where men just inexplicably went like violent and crazy. I vaguely remember this, and it um it, it took it it became highly infectious, and um the protagonists to get away from the scary men had to go further north and north, <laughs> and and it was implied that um once once the women were either killed or had gotten to a place where they were safe, the men would then take their violence out on each other. So it, this is kind of like The Walking Dead, but it's it's really more like you know people be crazy <laughs> and yeah and for no good reason yeah they're they're not really zombies they're infected with something yeah if you get bitten or get their fluids on you and by god they're gonna try to get their fluids on you <laughs> they sure are and, and that, that's not in a double entendre kind of way no <laughs> um you become crossed it's called cross because you get a big angry cross-shaped rash on your face right and become part of the problem so to speak. <laughs> Part of the problem. Um, but yeah, uh, this takes place 100 years in the, the future. The crossed have generally died off. You come across a few pockets of them. Mm -hmm. um, these people, it, it's far enough in the future. These people are clearly unnerved by seeing a couple of pockets within a couple of days. Um, this, in reading it, didn't really strike me as a crossed story. It struck me as Alan Moore world building doing, he had a reference mm -hmm. to uh, one of the main characters uh, uh, whose name I forget. Everybody's named after hope or future or future, I think was the character. Yeah. Future Taylor has a, uh, she is a big fan of science fiction, speculative fiction. She calls it wishful fiction. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that was the tip-off as to what Moore is trying to do here, which is think about, okay, if there's an apocalypse, what really happens in a couple years, in a couple, in a hundred years? Right. So global warming is beginning to die off because people aren't building shit anymore. Yeah. Human history is being lost basically because of the nature of the apocalypse and what people just had to run and hide and leave behind. Language is changing. That pissed me off so fucking much. It was almost hard to read. It was yeah. like trying to read Jabberwocky. Yeah. <laughs> Moore speculates uh, how language would change as the current, what amounts to a monoculture in human history where everybody can communicate with everybody in real time mm. as that dies off and it's yeah it's a pigeon of some internet stuff like a fuck yeah for as, as far, far as, far as we, we know, know but they yeah. actually say it out loud um yeah opsy which i think was c yeah look um brown for shit yeah people say fuck without the ing 
Well, they they use the word fuck as a uh, to to like like we would use very. <laughs> yeah, well, as like a modifier. We, like we would use fucking, but without the ing. Yeah. So yeah, he he invents an entire pigeon dialect based on these that you have to interpret in your head. There's no glossary. You have to try and figure it out as you go along. So right out of the gate, it slows you right down. Now, that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. But yeah, this is at least so far, it's not a cross story. They come across the crossed. Yeah. This, is that a valid thing to say? They encounter more pockets of the crossed and the crossed seem to be evolving in their own way because it, they make a point of in earlier iterations of this infected group, um, they had a tendency to kill and eat their own young. Right. Um, and since all these characters, all, all the infected do all the time is either try to kill or fuck each other <laughs> or it, when they can't find food um, that you know, now I was going to make a joke about particular neighborhoods in Boston or areas of the country. I'm just going to let that slide. Yeah, just leave, leave, leave that alone. <laughs> Um, now we're coming across potentially smarter or more um, controlled in their actions crossed. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, they could be a bigger threat than these folks realize because if they, they're dangerous to begin with, but if they're also more controlled in their actions, that means that they could be organizing. It's possible. And what, what Moore has in mind for how the crossed are actually part of this story. We're going to have to wait and see. Right. Um, this, like I said, it didn't strike me as a cross story. It struck me as, and I'm just speculating here that Moore decided to get involved with this as a chance to do pure speculative fiction. Yes. You know, doesn't matter what apocalypse there was. This is a ready built plug in apocalypse that Moore could walk into and say, okay, let me speculate what happens to humanity 100 years after this happened. If The Walking Dead is the zombie movie that never ends, right. this is Twilight of Humanity from Dawn of the Dead. It's, yeah. you know, if Land of the Dead was 10 years later, this is 90 years after that. Right. Which is fine. And it's certainly interesting the kind of world building he's doing around that. And I'm interested to see where it goes. But yeah, the the pigeon language just <laughs> it was so I had to read it twice to try and figure out what was going on. And for some of the stuff, it's just you really have to read it twice because you'll get halfway through it before you realize, okay, that's what Brown is, or that's what AFOC is, or so it's it's not a simple read. Right. But it's it's interesting. Now, that said, I get the crossed. Uh, I get crossed on my poles because I like a good violent zombie apocalypse story. Right. You're not going to get more violent zombie apocalypse than crossed. It's true. But it'll be interesting to see what, what he does with this. Yes. And I, I do want to see how the cross fits in beyond, oh, we're coming across them and they're potentially evolving. Well, that that's great. There were signs that they were evolving, though, in the earlier stories before they got to this particular you know, 100 years from now story, they had some some of the, the cross that were coming across as somewhat um, smarter and more willing to, to do things in a decisive manner that, rather than in a chaotic manner. Well, realistically, on any zombie apocalypse story, 
that almost if, if it's going to go beyond the apocalypse that almost has to be the second level because yeah. if zombies are horrifying zombies who can think are that much worse right so i mean we saw it in romero's movies with starting with day of the dead with bub and yeah. then land of the dead with big daddy mm-hmm. we're seeing it it looked like we were seeing it in Walking Dead recently with the Whisperers, and even then we're not entirely sure exactly right. what's up with them. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that's going to come across with Crossed. I mean, for any survival horror story, if you survive the original horror, you need to have another horror, and that's sort of the most obvious one. Yeah, it's implied, I believe, in this book that um, – the second group of infected they come across has been living in that church and that the stuff they find the 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 explorers find on the altar was put there by these infected. And yeah, they're trying to apply some kind of meaning to it. Right. So, and yeah, I mean, something interesting could come of that. Clearly Moore is trying to show what happens to the world when humans aren't necessarily the top of the food chain. Mm-hmm. the the wolf pack yep so whether the crossed are just waiting or finally reaching the point where okay now we're the top of the food chain and we're or, but they're not otherwise they wouldn't have been taken out by the wolves in this yeah. story or we're ready to move to the top of the food chain yeah yeah humans weren't always the top of the food chain they reached a tipping point of numbers and climate and tool usage right to make that leap so it could be where that's going yeah and it's an interesting sort of you know, um, switch up. The first thing you see are the crossed on the on the first page coming across, and they say um, it sound it looks like they're trying to say pack them in. You think this is going to be some other like they're raping somebody, they're they're doing something awful to somebody. Certainly in a cross book, that's what you would expect. That's what you would expect because you don't see the the full content. It's a very tight shot of whatever's happening. Yeah, and then it's later on when you realize they weren't actually doing what you typically expect of them in these books. They're trying to say pack is coming. <laughs> yeah, and it's this giant wolf pack. Yeah. So they're using their language differently a hundred years out. Yeah. But I think the key thing to to take away from this is if you are a fan of Crossed as just an ultra violent zombie story, at least so far this is not what you would expect. Right. That I think Miller's sort of wearing Miller, uh Moore's sort of wearing it on his sleeve that no, this is this is a real science fiction speculative fiction in the sense of if I assume a non-nuclear apocalypse of any kind after a hundred years, what's the world like? Right. And there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you, you got to fight your way through this language that he's created. And it's, it can be a, a battle at times. Yeah. I'm hoping he kind of eases up on it as, as they go, but we'll see. Because yeah, it's, also, these people are out, they're scavenging books, which these characters are clearly reading. They're scavenging videos, which clearly they can watch. You'd think that would have more an effect of keeping English a little more yeah, focused and current as of now, as opposed to you know, this new thing that they've created. But It's hard to say. And again, Moore does a lot of research, and I've done zero research on how language evolves, yeah. so. I I, I have studied English, but yeah, I, I think it has something, to, it would probably have something to do with 
these sort of pocket communities and as globalization has decreased and, and probably in fact ceased you start to go very regional in your dialects yeah yeah hey look i'm a dickhead with a microphone <laughs> <laughs> i don't necessarily know what i'm talking about but at least from that point but that i enjoyed the book it's yes. The, the first time through, I, I really didn't. I'm like, oh, he's just fucking around with language. But once you sort of figure that out, you know, and if you're willing to take it for this is real science fiction, mm -hmm. um, I think you'll enjoy it. I agree. All right. So we'll move to much less serious science fiction, <laughs> but still science fiction. Yes. Uh, Escape from New York, number one, written by Christopher Sabela. Uh, uh, art by Diego Barreto. What an awesome book that was. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it picks up right at the end of the first movie. That literally, it's the president is playing cabbie's swing music. Yep. As uh, Snake is walking away, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I liked that beginning, seeing the president kind of fucked up and affected by right. being in New York. Yeah, with that whole "I'm the president." No, who's the president? Who's a number one? <laughs> because. In the movie, he just so immediately reverted to being just a weasel scumbag politician. Right. I'm glad it fucked him up a little bit. <laughs> it's good to see that. Yes. Um. Yeah, I mean, the, the helicopter battle, that's one, it's one way that shows that comic books really can be better than movies, because that helicopter battle was everything. I just recently rewatched Escape from LA because right. it was free on TV. LA or New York? LA. Oh, oh God. New York, I've watched a lot. <laughs> I was. <laughs> it was on cable and I watched it. And, but yeah, that helicopter battle in the comic with rockets and machine guns and crashes and was everything that John Carpenter probably wanted to do with the gliders yeah. in Escape from L.A., but it never looked like anything but beyond dudes in front of a green screen or even worse. He's they, limited by his budget and his technology. Yeah, they hung poor Kurt Russell from fucking <laughs> wires and swung him around the set like he's on a glider. Um, but, I mean, you can do that kind of stuff with a comic book. Um, but the whole thing kind of had a John Carpenter vibe it from did. the movie in the sense that it was really big overblown satire i, I could know. hear like vague synth music in the back of my head as i was reading it that's a stroke that's... <laughs> but uh, no, snake's reputation is so overblown no matter yeah. where he goes they know who he is they think he's the baddest mucker motherfucker who ever walked even though they all thought he was dead that's still right. thought you were dead man <laughs> um even the army would rather go home and face a half insane traumatized president yeah then go and, after Snake Plissken. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just everybody had the same attitude from the first movie of, yep, country's gone to hell, but what are you going to do as long as it doesn't affect me directly? Um, and uh, of course, he comes across a Manson family style traveling cult. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with with names that are all related to various Satanists and anarchists. Yeah. Like Anton and Alistair. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, and... It makes perfect sense if you think about it. If the world, if the country has gone so far to hell that New York City has become a prison. Yeah. yeah thinking about New York in the 70s when Carpenter was writing this where, yeah, it was a violent shithole where he was just as likely to get killed as walk on the subway. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. If you're going to extrapolate that out, of course, Florida is an armed camp of secessionists <laughs> who are just like, "Fuck you, man! We're just we're defending the border." So it's just that kind of big, overblown satire. Just it really worked for me. Yeah, and I I enjoyed um, watching watching the use of the art even more so than the dialogue that Sabella puts together to advance the character of Pliskin. Everything is is note perfect in terms of what the character would do based on what we've seen him do yeah. in his movie. Yeah. Art-wise, it's pretty basic comic art. It's not heavily stylized stuff, but yeah, it was really easy to follow. The action was there. Um so yeah, it was it was well put together for for this kind of book. Yeah. Um, um I I enjoyed the whole you know, welcome, citizen. You are now uh, applying for immigration status to Florida. And it's this gauntlet that you're supposed to go through with these tests. And Pliskin's just like, yeah, fuck that noise. He takes all of the weapons. Yeah, right out of the <laughs> gate. It's like, take one weapons. I think for this. Thanks for the suggestion. But, I mean, that was the other. I think uh, Sabela really got Pliskin's voice down. Yeah. There, there were areas of dialogue where you could almost hear that. Christian Bale hiss that <laughs> yeah. that Kurt Growl. Russell had that just, just wanted to put your shirt on. What do you mean succession? So yeah, that's Snake Pliskin. So yeah. no, don't need a job. What are you gonna do about it? <laughs> so and yeah, on a personal note, Escape from New York. See, for for you for you kids listening. <laughs> yes, Uncle Rob. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Uncle Rob a glass of bourbon. Shut the fuck up. He's telling a story. <laughs> Before 1984, when Gremlins and uh, Temple of Doom created the PG-13 rating, you got movies of two ratings. There were PG and R. Because there was, the, because <laughs> yes. there was nothing in the middle, a lot of movies that right now would get a PG-13 would get an R. And in yeah. the early 80s, my parents would not let me see those. Right. So, But there were a lot of good science fiction movies that came out then that became because of that almost mythic in my head. And Escape from New York was one of them. Mm -hmm. Blade Runner yep. was one of them. The Road Warrior. That when I finally got to see them, you know, when I was older, they'd become so big in my head. It's like, yep, these are. I love these movies. That's why they wouldn't let me watch them. And Escape from New York's one of them. You see, I've had it on DVD and yep. Blu-ray. It's one of the few movies I've upgraded on. So that's a great movie. Yeah, and Sabela and. Uh, Beretta really captured that world really well in a way that Escape from L.A. even didn't. Right. So. Uh, well, I mean, that's that's the beautiful thing about having a solid artist. It, you can tell a story. Um, it, you're not limited in, in what you have that you can bring to bear to tell the story. Yeah. And in this particular case, it's doing it's doing everything it needs to do to hold the tone of the movie, to, to show the action that carpenter would have intended had he had the budget to tell the story that he wanted to tell in escape from la it it, it can go wrong like we saw it go wrong in, in buffy season eight where it's just like oh unlimited world world building yeah yeah you can you can go a little nutty with it <laughs> yeah but you know that this is being done with a restrained hand <laughs> yeah so yeah i as an escape from new york fan i really liked it if you're an escape from new york fan Definitely give it a shot because it really gets the major things right. It's a good time to be a comic book reader who is also a fan of Kurt Russell movies. 
Yeah, <laughs> between this and Big Trouble in Little China by yeah. Eric Powell, which is also fucking spectacular. Yeah. I hope he extends on that because I think he's got 12 issue run. So I think yep. he's about halfway done with it. But it's a, it's a great book also. Yeah. See, also John Carpenter. <laughs> I, I should. Yeah. I, I should have grabbed sound clicks from Escape from New York. This is as close as I got. I have come here <laughs> to chew bubble gum and kick ass. At least it's not the balls one. And I'm all out of bubble gum. <laughs> I can't help myself. You make the baby Jesus cry. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> What's he done for me lately? <laughs> he died for your sins. I said lately. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and on that blasphemous note, uh, we got anything else or should we wrap I it up? I think we should wrap it up. All right. So. I'm becoming needlessly religious. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I, I don't know how you found this particular episode, but if you're looking for us, you can always find us at our home website, which is crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. You can shoot us an email at crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. We are on Twitter. At Infinite Midlife. I will remember that someday. No, you won't. No, I won't. <laughs> um, we're also on Facebook. We're trying to do a little bit more with that. Um, it's it's a slow work in progress. Yeah, but while we don't post a lot there, uh, we certainly get messages through there. So if you want to shoot us a message, you can find the link to that through our home website. Yep. Um, you can find us on iTunes. If you find us on there, do us a favor. Shoot us a review. Give us a rating. You know. Communicate with us one way or another. Just let us know what you like about the show, any suggestions you have about it. We try to listen. We do. We try to be responsive. Yes. We try. We try. Drunk a lot, so yeah. I can do sometimes. <laughs> uh, we are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Yep. Uh, and that, I think, is it. This has been episode 45 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. And I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening, and Derp. I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. God damn you. <laughs> I am the worst kind of person. You are. <laughs>